The text for today comes from the book of Romans. We're going to go to chapter 8, and we're going to read from verses 35 to 39. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. And the word of the Lord goes like this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. For this summer, we're doing a, a, a series called The God of Promises. And the idea here is uh, that we, we ought to hear 10 promises, at least 10 promises, that the Bible talks about that are foundational for Christian living, that are foundational for us to be able to live our Christianity. The Christian life is, is oftentimes described as a journey. And if you imagine yourself in that journey, this would be 10 things or 10 promises you are going to have to carry with you in order to deal with life, in order to be able to deal with everything that comes your way. Now, when we talk about the promises of God, we are not, talk we are not talking about something that is just wishful thinking. When we talk about the promises of God, we are talking about for sure things, things that we could be certain about. Because when the Lord says that he's going to do something, he does it. Amen. He never changes his mind. He never changes his character. He is how he is, and whatever he says he's going to do, he does. Last week, Pastor Rob talked about the promise of pardon, of forgiveness and salvation, and today we're talking about the promise of providence. The promise of providence says that God is always in control, that everything runs according to his plan, and that he orchestrates providentially everything to fulfill his plans for this creation. I expect you to memorize what I just said. <laughs> the promise of providence is the one that says that God is always in control. Can you say control? control. That everything runs according to his plan. That he orchestrates providentially everything to fulfill his plans for this creation. So the text, the, the, the three questions that I'm asking the text today are this. Is God really in control? Number two, if that is true, why do we struggle with it? 
And number three, how do we learn to trust him, basically? Why should we trust his control? Is God really in control? If that is true, why do we struggle with it? And why should we learn to trust him? Or how do we change in order for us to trust him? Let's go with the first one, is God really in control? I, I actually think that that's a valid question. Because I'm almost sure that if I ask anybody here today that if you believe, unless you're not a Christian just yet, but if you claim yourself to be a Christian, if I ask anyone here today, if, if I ask you, do you believe that God is in control, we would all say yes. We do believe that God is in control. The problem, though, is that we believe that God is in control when things go right. But when things go wrong, if you're honest enough, you will say that sometimes you don't feel as as God is in control. And sometimes you even doubt that God is in control. Once again, it's really easy to say and to hear don't worry, God is in control when everything is going right. But it's so hard to say and hear, don't worry, God is in control when everything is going wrong. I guess what I'm inviting you to do today is for you actually to recognize and to learn to ask the question, is God really in control? I think that that's what makes you human. And I think that the Lord allows you to question him like that. Read the book of Psalms. And let's say that you're not, you're not willing to ask that question, but I know for sure that you feel that he's not in control. It doesn't feel like you've got us in control at this moment. Well, that's the book of Romans for you. The book of Romans was written by Paul to a group of Christians that, that everything is going wrong for them. So they're being persecuted because of their faith. They're being oppressed because of their faith. And they have the same questions that you and I have today. And they feel the same things that we, you and I feel today. Is God really in control? Now, Romans 8, which is a, one of the most famous passages in the history of the church, the most preached passages in the history of the church talks about salvation, but it talks about salvation in the context of God being in control of not just our salvation, but of everything else. That's why in verse 35, Paul asks the question, who shall separate, separate us from the love of Christ? That's a question. Is there anybody or anything that can separate us from the love of Christ? And then he answers the question in verse 39. And he says it really simple and really clear. Nothing, nothing in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Now, what is interesting, though, is that we got to ask Paul, how does he know that? How do we know that he's not making this up? How does he know that there's nothing 
Can you say nothing? That there's nothing that could separate us from him. And his reasoning is amazing. He's about to argue that God is not only in control of your salvation, but that he's in control of everything and that everything in creation submits to him. That's his conviction. The reason why he could boldly say that there's nothing that could take us from the love of God in Christ is because he knows that there is nothing that is outside the control of God and that everything submits to him. That's the whole reasoning behind verses 35, 38, and 39. And in those three verses, he uses various words to describe the control of God in different ways. So, for example, in verse 35, he talks about troubles and hardships. And most scholars would say that this is him trying to describe the combination of outward affliction, things that come to you, plus inward distress. So this is what Paul is saying. It doesn't matter what happens outside of you or inside of you, God is still in control and nothing could take you from him. He talks about persecution and he talks about the sword. It's kind of the same thing, but this is what he's saying. It doesn't matter if he, if who goes after you and if they want to execute you because God is still in control. Nothing could take you from him. He talks about famine and nakedness. And here he's talking about nature. And he recognizes that nature is cruel. That sometimes nature does not provide what we need to eat. And sometimes nature does not provide uh, in order for us to wear something. But Paul says that because God is still in control, nothing can separate you from the love, from his love in Christ Jesus. He keeps going in verse 38 and he talks about death and life. And the whole idea is here that nothing in life is outside his control, not even death is outside of his control. Therefore, he could say that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Interesting enough, he talks about angels and demons, something that we don't talk about much today in modern times, but most people actually believe in this. And he's talking about angelic beings and supernatural powers. And you would think that angelic beings and supernatural powers uh, are, um, are not part of the control that God has over everything. But this is what Paul is implying here, that even angelic beings and supernatural powers must submit to God. You know how I know that? Read Job, in which Satan asked permission from God to make Job's life merciable. Even angelic beings submit to the Lord. Therefore, there's nothing that could separate you from the love of God in Christ. He talks about the present, and he talks about the future. And he says that everything we are and everything we have is in full control of him in our present and in our future. You know how many of us are really worried about the future? You know how much time we spend talking about retirement and what we're going to do when we retire? 
And I know you don't want to hear this, but you have no control over your future. And Paul says, it doesn't matter what you live today and what will happen later. Nothing could separate you from the love of God in Christ because he is full in control. He talks about powers. And here with powers, he's talking about rulers and human, human rulers and people of power. And I find this one really interesting because if there is something that I have learned um, in my time as a pastor is that even though, we don't, we, even though we believe in God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, we still trust people of power. That's why we trust so much political figures, people. That's why we trust people with weapons and people with money and people with influence because we believe that if we put the right people in the right place, we will gain control, which is so foolish because Paul says that the ultimate security of God's people is not people with power. It's him. And because he's in control, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. In verse 39, he talks about fate, talks about height nor depth, and most, most scholars would say that he's talking about the concept of fate. You know, when we talk about the good luck, you know, who have good luck, Charlie, kind of that idea? You, you don't watch Disney, that's why you don't know that show. <laughs> but you don't need good luck. I don't need good luck. God is still in control, and that's why nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. God is in control of people. God is in control of circumstances. God is in control of nature. God is in control of the present. God is in control of the future. God is in control of history, and because he is in control of everything, and everything in creation submits to him. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. You know what I was thinking about this week? How God is in control of history. You know that one of the reasons why I'm here preaching this sermon today is because Fidel Castro. I'm serious. And I know that he's not your favorite person. He's not my favorite person either, right? <laughs> but check this out. This is, what, how the, this is how the Lord works. It's because Fidel Castro became the president in Cuba that my first pastor, the pastor that the Lord used to bring me to know Jesus Christ, left Cuba and came to the United States and took him to an evangelistic event that my mom dragged me to. And then he became my first pastor, a Cuban pastor. And then the Lord brought me here to work under another Cuban pastor. And then one, he was the one that called me to ministry first. And then I worked with Rob. That when he's upset, he talks like a Cuban. Don't tell him that I said that. <laughs> God is in control of absolutely everything. 
I don't know if you noticed this, but at the end of verse 39, Paul calls Jesus Lord, which is a word that we all use all the time. And we forget that when we call Jesus Lord, we are saying that he's the supernatural master over all. That he's the one that owns everything and controls everything. So let me give you a few texts for you. Isaiah chapter 14. Surely, as I have planned, says the Lord, so it will be. As I have purposed, so it will happen. You know how crazy that is? That God is uncontrollable. He does what he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. Jeremiah chapter 23. He fully accomplishes the purpose of his heart. There are no mistakes in God's economy. Psalm 115. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ because he's in full control at all times. John Frame, famous theologian, puts it this way. God always accomplishes his purposes. God never fails to accomplish what he sets out to do. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing seems marvelous to him. With him, nothing is impossible. His purposes would always prevail. Abraham Kuyper, in his famous quote, says, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, in control of everything, does not cry, mine. That's what Paul believed. And that's what he preached to a bunch of afflicted people. Now, what I find interesting here is that I'm sure that all these people had this theological concept already. All these people believe that God is in control of people and circumstances, that God is in control of nature, that God is in control of the present and the future, that God rules over history, that he's in control of everything that, and that everything submits to him. For Paul, this is not just an idea, you know. For Paul, this is conviction. That's why in verse 38, he says, for I am convinced you know the difference between having a conviction and feeling something? The difference between having a conviction and not just having a sensation that God is in control? For Paul, this is a conviction. There's nothing, nothing at all, he says, that escapes the reality of the control of God. Do you have that conviction? You need, you need that conviction. Just as much as these people that everything is going wrong, just as much as these people that are being persecuted and oppressed, just as these people that are struggling from the outside and the inside with fears and anxieties and doubts, just as much as these people needed to be convinced and to know 
that God is always in control and therefore nothing can separate us from his love in Jesus Christ. Listen, I, I, I could publicly confess and, and the more you hear me, the more things you're going to know about me. But I'm a person that worries a lot and it doesn't seem like if I do. And the reason why I know that I have, I'm full of anxieties, I'm full of fears, I'm full of stuff is because at night when I have issues, I cannot sleep. And every time I go through that, the Lord brings me back to one of my favorite hymns. It says that he will hold me fast. Look what it says. When I fear my faith would fail, Christ will hold me fast. Listen, it's not that I'm going to hold fast to him, that he holds fast to me. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life fearful path, for my love is often cold, but he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Do you believe that? Do you have that? I, I think that we struggle with this. How many of you guys actually believe that God is in control of everything? Please raise your hand. How many of you guys actually struggle with that? Please raise your hand. It's got to be the same people. <laughs> if not, you're lying, and this is church, people. <laughs> we all struggle with this, and I'm about to prove it to you. There's so many reasons why we struggle with this, but I'm going to give you at least three here in the minutes, in the next hour I have. <laughs> Listen, many of us struggle with this because we have a hard time reconciling the sovereignty of God with our free will. You know, we have a really hard time reconciling that, acknowledging that God is in control but at the same time, acknowledging that we have human responsibilities. We don't know why we have such a hard time, but that's a reality. That's the argument I hear all the time. But I believe that to be a mistake, people. Because the Bible shows you that God is in full control of everything at all times. And yet, you have responsibilities. And you do, and you choose. That's, in a very, that's a very American thing to say, you know? And when I say America, it's the whole continent. We, we want God to be just like we want him to be. How do we put these two things together? But the Bible does not allow that because the Bible tells you that God is sovereign and you have to do things. The best person that explains this, in my opinion, is J.I. Packer. In 1960, he wrote an essay called divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And later on, he wrote a book called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. And he calls this an antinomy. So this is the, his definition. An antinomy is an apparent contradiction between conclusions which seem equally logical, reasonable, or necessary. There are a lot of big words, but this is the whole idea. You shouldn't struggle with this 
Because the sovereignty of God and human responsibility is logical, reasonable, and necessary. And I'm going to prove it to you. All right, Bible people? Acts chapter 27. When you get the chance, go home after I finish preaching and read it. And here we, have, we find Paul going to Rome. And he finds himself in the midst of a storm, in the middle of a storm. And he does what every Christian would do. He prays. And the Lord responds to him and tells him that he's not going to die, that he's going to be a witness before Caesar, that no one is going to die, that he's in full control of that. God's sovereignty, right? But then Paul does something crazy. He tells the rest of the congregation, or the group, not congregation, but that was a church probably. He tells the rest of the group, you know, you guys got to eat something. We need to get rid of certain things, and we try to reach for an island. Human responsibility. And you have to ask the question, why did he do that? Didn't God tell him already that he was in full control? Aren't we supposed, aren't we, that the people that believe in the sovereignty of God, supposed to just chill and relax because God is in control? Don't think so. God is in control of everything. Therefore, you could rest. But because we have human responsibility, you have no permission to be passive or be paralyzed. As someone once said it before, God rules not despite our choices, but through them. Our choices are part of his plan. Part of the reason why we struggle with the providence of God or the sovereignty of God is because we have a hard time putting these two concepts together. I think there's another reason why we struggle with this. And I'm trying to offend you with this one. I think that we struggle with this because we are just a bunch of control freaks. You are a control freak. I am a control freak. It's not a personality thing, you know. We, we say things like, no, I just like things in a certain way. No, you are a control freak. <laughs> and the reason why I could say that with full confidence is because that's the reason why we struggle with worry, fear, and anxiety. I know that some people have medical conditions because of that, but for the most part, for most of us, worry, fear, and anxiety is just the evidence that we want to have control over things that we do not have control of. That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, why do you worry? Why do you have anxiety? Don't I have control over everything in creation? And we struggle because sometimes either we, sometimes we feel or we think that either God lost control of everything or doesn't have control of everything. And if he lost control or doesn't have control over everything, then I must have control over something. Which is foolish. Isn't that the reason why we rather do than pray? 
By show of hands, how many of you guys rather do than pray? Please raise your hand. Yeah, you, you guys, are, you lie all the time. <laughs> Did you know that prayer is one of the hardest things we do? Because you have to trust in the sovereignty of God. When we pray, we're publicly declaring that we have no control over anything. That he must do everything. That's why we struggle trying to control people, you know? That's the reason why we tend to suffocate the people we love. Because instead of praying for someone, for the Lord to change someone, we think that we have the power to get inside people's heart and mind and change them. Listen, if you are a parent, the Lord gave you children so you remember for the rest of your life that you are not in control. That's why you stop having children. <laughs> we struggle with this because we want to control what people think of us. That's the reason why, as a society, we are so obsessed with titles and positions. Do you know why? Because if you have a title and a position, then you control what people think of you. Ooh, Hannibal, pastor. Who cares? <laughs> That's why social media became so popular. You get to control what people think of you. When was the last time that you posted a picture when you first got up early in the morning? <laughs> Never seen anybody doing that, people. Because you want to control what people think of you. That's the reason why we struggle with our identity, you know, and we're full of fear of men. Because we are so afraid of what people think of us and we try to control it. Actually, this week in my preparation for the sermon, actually last week in preparation for the sermon, I watched an interview between David Letterman and Howard Stern. Everything I do is a preparation for a sermon. I actually shared this with Iglesia last week, but this is the idea. Those of you that know this, this couple of guys, David Letterman, age 71, and Howard Stern, age 74, um, very interesting guys, right? We all know that Howard Stern is a highly controversial, and I would say immoral man. But there's a couple of things that he said in that interview that really got me thinking. Because he's a man that has to struggle all his life with anxiety, and people didn't know that. But this is what he said. I realize that I have anxiety. Listen up. I realize that I have anxiety because I'm trying to control things that I cannot control. Listen to that preacher. And then he says that most of the dumb things he did in the radio was because he was trying to control what people thought of him. So he realized that at the end of every hour, his supervisors would check the ratings of the radio station. 
And he knew that the last 15 minutes was the time where he would actually check how many people are actually hearing to his voice. And he says that for the last 15 minutes, he would say the most crazy things he could ever think of. Because he knew that if he would do crazy stuff, people would stop there and listen. But when you hear him, he says that he heard so many people because of that. Obsessed in trying to control what people thought of him. Isn't that true for many of us? And maybe, maybe, just maybe, the reason why we struggle with God's sovereignty and God having control over everything is not just that we have problems trusting that he's in control of everything, but that we struggle with his love. If you trust that he loves you, then you could trust that everything he does and doesn't do at the end of the day is for your good. Which then leads me to the third question, how do we change, how do we learn to trust the Lord? And I don't know if you notice here, but in the text, there is a word that appears three times in five verses, and it's the word love. In verse 35, he talks about the love of Christ. In verse 37 says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And in verse 39, at the end, he says, the love of God is in Christ. Why would Paul talk about love to a bunch of afflicted people? This is the idea here. That if, if God truly loves you, it's because Jesus truly loves you. And if God truly loves you, and Jesus truly loves you, the best way you could know, not only that God is in control at all times, but that he truly, truly loves you is because he went to the cross. That's the whole idea of Romans chapter 8. And that's the whole idea when he says he loved us in the past. If you question if God is in control of your lives somehow, all you have to do is go back to the cross and be reminded that God chose you, God brought you to him, he converted you, he transformed you, he predestined you, he justified you, he adopted you, and you didn't do anything. You responded. So here's the question. If God was in control of your salvation from beginning to end, what makes you think that he is not in control of everything else? If God was in control of your salvation from the beginning to the end, what makes you think that he's not in control of everything else in your life? Rest. Believe. In the 
promise of providence. Rest and believe in the promise of providence. So let me finish here reading the last section of the hymn that I just that I quoted before. For my life he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. He will hold me fast. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Lord, what a beautiful concept it is to understand and believe that you truly, truly are in control of everything. That you are in control of people and circumstances. That you are in control of history. That you are in control of the present and of the future. That you truly, truly are in control of everything just as much you, you were and are in control of our salvation. My prayer for us today as your people is that we believe, but that you help our unbelief. And we learn to rest in the promise of providence. Because it comes from a God that never changes, never lies, and is so powerful. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We all say, can you please stand? Let's respond to the Lord in adoration.